Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. If anybody is curious about how to be successful at anything, they should listen to Mr. Beast and his story about 10 years becoming a YouTuber. Malcolm Gladwell has this idea that 10,000 hours of something creates mastery. He would just sit there 8, 10, 12 hours a day with two other people and they'd look at like 10,000 thumbnails and like looked at what worked and what didn't. They would analyze virality with such grit. And he says without a doubt, he's like, it is not luck. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Adam Robinson, the Adam Robinson of Retention.com. He got it, stole that amazing domain name, and he could talk about it a little bit. But like, let's go in your backstory first, and then we'll get into the topic of the day. I graduated college from 2003. I moved to New York because at that time, if you wanted to make a lot of money, you worked on Wall Street. It's a little bit different now. I think tech is like sexier or whatever. Back then, you want to make money? You go to Manhattan, you do one of those jobs. So I fell into the trading floor at Lehman Brothers, which there's a movie called The Big Short. I literally had that job for 10 years. <laughs> Some of my coworkers are in like characters in that movie. So that was wild. What was even wilder was when I showed up in New York, my roommates in this apartment in Tribeca that we got, it was like this big old loft or whatever, bunch of bedrooms. They started Vimeo in the apartment that I was living in. So I like watched them create this dominant video network, like over the course of like however many years that, they, that we were all living together. And I like, I wanted to be that. I wanted to like be a tech guy. I didn't even really know what that meant. But like, I kind of had this view. I still do. Like the Jeff Bezos, like it's still day one or however he says it, right? We're still in the first inning, whatever he says. There's so much innovation left to come in the internet. And after the financial crisis, the job that I had got put out of existence. And one of my mentors was like, that skill that you developed for the last 10 years, it's pretty much worthless. We're all going to live till we're like 100 and everybody, like the, this rumor of retirement is like false. Like no one wants to let, you know, most people don't want to just go sit on the beach somewhere. So figure out something where you can like work to your 90. So I'm like, okay, the internet's where I'm going to go. I started investing in stuff, hanging out with people that I perceived were like starting startups or whatever, somehow fell into email marketing of all things. And we basically built this product and business that got up to be like a really nice lifestyle business. That was like a very small business product because we were like, we had this mechanism to like sort of get customers from one of the large vendors, like really picking up their breadcrumbs basically. So the problem is in marketing, it's like you got to know who you're selling to and you got to know who you're marketing to. And like this product was super broad. I'm not allowed to say the name, but it was like there's MailChimp. They were the follower, the fast follower. The, the, the pioneer was this other company in Boston. But it was a hard customer base to build for because it was, it was like a slice of Main Street 
you know, baby boomer, non-e-commerce. They were sending one email newsletter a week. It was like a flower shop. You couldn't build features for them because they weren't making money in the email. And man, I just couldn't figure out how to compete with MailChimp. And I started trying to do stuff that they weren't doing. And this was like 2016. I made a couple huge errors one year, then the next year. I'm talking like spend a million dollars building a feature set that just didn't work at all. And then finally, I came across this idea, someone was talking about it, that you could get the email address of a website visitor even if they didn't fill out a form, which was amazing to me because I knew from email that people's biggest problem is like their list shrinking. I mean, you got a huge list. It's like every time you send, like, I don't know, point something percent of people stop or they unsubscribe, emails get old or whatever, and your list gets big enough to where whatever the inbound traffic is, whatever, it's a churn problem. So this was very captivating to me because I understood from people I was talking to that like, instead of capturing 2% in a form, you could capture like 40% doing this technique and nobody was out there selling it to anyone that I had ever spoken to. Took me a year and a half. I figured out how to do it. Launched it. That was get emails. It's been a rocket ship since. In that product was incredible in a sense that you could say one sentence to somebody, they immediately realized the value and they wanted to use it. That's a far cry from the perfect product. It took two and a half years to get what I would consider the perfect product, meaning like I know exactly the audience, I know exactly the feature set, I know exactly the pricing. If the right person is standing in front of me, I can sell this to somebody in five minutes and they will crush it. And it's, we can go into that later. But to get to that point, the first two and a half years with this company, which was called Get Emails, I bootstrapped it to 13-ish million ARR with six people and like very little marketing spend, almost zero. And then we hit this product market fit moment and like we've hired 40 people in the last three months and like we're gonna just keep, keep ramping. So that's my entrepreneurial journey. There have been so many lessons along the way. And yeah, I'm here to sort of share, you know, I'm 42, so I'm like 20 years into being an adult. I don't even know if I'm considered a millennial, but like I've got my teeth kicked in like 50 times along the way. <laughs> so I'm happy yeah. to share stories about it. I want to get into this topic. We chatted before this podcast about who you surround yourself with, whether it's in life, business, marketing, how important it is. So I want to go to the story of, you have a couple of stories. Now, I didn't even know the Vimeo story. So you're the Vimeo story. Yeah. Now we'll talk about another story that you're going, but could you go into like how that has changed your life by who you surround yourself with? And, and also how did you like find people like that to surround yourself? You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I love that quote. And then I heard, I think it was a Naval quote. He's like, if you want to be successful, hang out with people more successful than you. If you want to be happy, hang out with people less successful than you. <laughs> you know, that's just like the, the, I think there's a lot to like, that's true about human nature. It's like, we just can't help but compare ourselves. So two pieces of content on this topic that I think are excellent. Number one is this book called Wanting by Lewis Burgess. The story goes, it's like Peter Thiel had this professor at Stanford that talked about mimetic desire. 
And what mimetic desire is, is this idea that if we're peers, Daniel and Adam, you actually teach me what I want. No one else teaches me what I want but you. Advertising is effective because it presents itself in a way to where it's somebody that I can connect with and it's teaching me what I want. But you do it in real life and subtly. I don't even realize it. And apparently Peter Thiel was so excited about Facebook because he saw the end game being a fueler of mimetic desire. It's a bunch of people connecting to each other who are peers that are basically trying to show their life in an unauthentic, positive way that are showing other people what they want. And he thought there was a tremendous monetization opportunity that could be as a result of that. And that turned out to be true. The book's great. I would highly recommend it. So this is that, that's the theme of like, if you're around peers and want this kind of like has a greed associated with it, but like if you just are around people that are trying to make more of themselves, I think that it will inspire you to make more of yourselves as well. And I'll tell a story from my life that's about it too. The other thing, piece of content is Mr. Beast has been doing a podcast tour and all of the big tours. We talked about this. I think that if anybody is curious about how to be successful at anything, they should listen to Mr. Beast in his story about 10 years becoming a YouTuber. I have a podcast that's called 10 Years in the Making. Malcolm Gladwell has this idea that 10,000 hours of something creates mastery. If you listen to this guy's journey to knowing how to create viral content, like he would just sit there eight, 10, 12 hours a day with two other people and they'd look at like 10,000 thumbnails and like looked at what worked and what didn't. They would analyze virality with such grit, right? Stick to itiveness, whatever that word is. And he says, without a doubt, he's like, it is not luck. Like, I know how to create viral content, period. But he understands this better than anyone. Another thing related to the topic that we're talking about is he said, if you're creating crappy content, get better friends who are more honest with you and can tell you what sucks about your content. This is the theme that we're talking about. People like mistake the algorithm being this like crazy thing. But if you think of the algorithm as your audience and create great 10x content for your audience, your content will be picked up because the point of these social media platforms is to keep people on the platform. And how do you keep people on the platform is have content that keeps people sticky, keep people on the platform, keep people watching, people watching ads, and that's how they monetize. So you need content that does that. And if you keep thinking like, I need to tweak my content for the algorithm, that's not how it works. Just create great content and it will, the cream rises to the top. Totally. And if you want to hear about Daniel's philosophy about LinkedIn, I interviewed him on my podcast, 10 Years in the Making. I thought it was a great interview. Several people wrote back to that me. Was fun. Like, this is this this is awesome. Like, because I just think you have a unique, just that one sentence you said stuck with me. You're like, I want to just give people a break. Like LinkedIn is like, it's like so like serious and this like broetry and all this stuff. And you're like throwing out these like dumb memes about like, oh, you know, these are the people that like make the ads. These are the people that read the ads, whatever. So now back to what we we're talking about. Watch the Mr. Beast podcasts or listen to them or whatever. Read that book. The story that I think is the most 
interesting thing that I have to share right now is the story of my relationship with this guy named Dave Roganmoser, who's currently the CEO of Jasper AI. That company was started two years and three weeks ago, like almost to the day. They launched at the beginning of, of 2021. Three weeks before that, these guys were contemplating selling their, they had like a stuck, crappy, like SaaS company called Proof that they couldn't figure out how to grow. And they were burning money and they were going to give up and they were, gonna, they were contemplating starting a restaurant. So remarkable thing number one, I watched this guy. And by the way, at that time, I had two businesses that were SaaS businesses that I perceived were stuck. One of them happens to be what I'm working on right now. And the amazing thing is, I don't think it's stuck at all. The other one I ended up selling because just whatever, that's what you do sometimes. But I watched at the time, Dave and I had this plan. We were going to start a bunch of small SaaS companies and just run a portfolio of them. Because like I had these two companies, Robley and Get Emails, and they were both throwing off a bunch of cash and it was great. And I was like, Dave, you know how to get a company to like 3 million in revenue. Just like start three more of them. You're really good at the, the marketing stuff and whatever. It's just, it's a great outcome. And the next thing these guys worked on, they had just come off a period where they spent 18 months trying to build a personalization app that did not work. They raised $2 million. They spent a million dollars building the software. They turned it off. They were like super bummed out. And I will say this, like they're not Stanford grads. These guys went to Maryland, you know, like the next thing they did was Jasper AI. I have a text on my phone that is, this text says, first paying customer, it's a hundred dollar receipt. Had the idea seven days ago. Hope that it's my get emails. This is about Jasper. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's December 29th, 2020. I watched these guys from that text in 12 months go from zero to 50 million ARR. Two months later, they raised $125 million at a $1.5 billion valuation. They created a billion and a half dollars of value out of thin air in 14 months. There's just so many amazing things that come out of this. One, I would have told you that that was impossible. On this day, when he sent me this text, if you would have told me they're going to raise $125 million at a billion dollar valuation in 14 months, I would have said, that is impossible. We were like shooting so much lower in this thing. So like, then there's like this lesson about how it changed me, right? And because we're talking about like who you surround yourself with and how they can just raise your expectations. I mean, it's kind of dumb luck that this Jasper thing worked as well as it did, but there was a point with my business, which was called Get Emails, is now it's called retention.com, where I was burnt out. I was going to sell it last year. And then the buyer walked and it was going to be a real amount of money for me. So like I was devastated when the buyer walked and I sat down with Dave and this was after he had done this, this deal 12, 14 months in. And he's like, man, like we just hired this guy named Sean or Shane Orlick, uh, who is the CRO of walk me to work for us. He's bringing all these incredible people. You should just talk to him. And so I had been sort of warmed up to this idea that things can be a lot bigger than you think by watching Dave do it. Like it's so wild. We were just sitting on this, in this office on Brazos street 
there's some guys on their laptops on this side and I was on the other side and it just happened. And then they were like, well, at this point, we're going to go for an IPO. So they started hiring the best people possible. And then I talked to this guy, Shane, and like, he didn't explicitly tell me this, but like the conclusion that I came to when I left was like, my business was so much better than I was giving it credit for, right? Like with hardly any resources, I got something at the time it was 8 million in revenue. And I had one salesperson and basically all we did was sales. To get to 50, they were spending a million and a half dollars a month on Facebook. So like, it was this total perspective shift. And like, that was a unique situation. But like, regardless of what the situation was, having watched them do that, when I spoke to this guy who was just like Shane, he was just like this fierce optimist, like just in the position of vulnerability that I was, I think that my perspective would have shifted anyway. Since then, we are going for it. You know what I mean? Like, like I have perfected this product. Like we were aiming at this very small slice of the Shopify audience. It's like the Shopify plus audience. Our sales is dialed in. We're like going big into this marketing thing, founder brand, all sorts of stuff. Like we've hired, I don't know, 40 people in the last three and a half months. Like I'm fully convinced that we will create a unicorn in the next 12 months. So much so that I am creating a TV show for my personal brand content that's called Billion Dollar Challenge. <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be a unicorn by the end of the year. I'm gonna do a work in public and show you literally everything that we're doing in marketing, in sales, in product, and all that stuff. And I'm gonna show you all the financials. I'm so convinced we're gonna get there. Like none of this would have happened had I not watched Dave do it. Like, and as, as we were talking about before the show, it's like, even if I read the story of me, of Dave and myself, I wouldn't have thought that it was possible for me, but it's like, he's such a close peer and we were stuck in such a similar way two and a half years ago that like watching someone who's just directly on your level achieve something like that, it just opened this door in my, in my head and in my life and like, now I not even believe it's possible in this weird way. I've just accepted that it's happened already. I'm living this, you know, like I have all of my identity and all of my employees' identities are tied to this idea that like we're building a unicorn in the next 12 months. And guess what? We're going to because everybody believes we're going to, <laughs> you know, it's just a crazy thing. Like it's such a weird, you know, it feels like Tony Robbins or something like all these limiting beliefs. Like I was looking through texts from before they started Jasper, I was so negative on this get emails thing. I was like, churn super high. The reason churn super high is because the product wasn't good enough and we hadn't figured out our audience yet. So everyone who wasn't core to the audience was dropping off. But I wasn't seeing that at the time. I was like, there's no way we can sell an annual deal. Guess what? Since October 24th, we've sold 420 annual deals for $30,000 annual contract value, right? Like these limiting beliefs are just like, it's a real thing. You know, <laughs> the two things that I, that really stand out to me is one is you were surrounding yourself with, um, the founder of Jasper and you both were like stuck in the same part of your life. So like there was nobody to strive higher than you. So your business was staying in the same place. And what's actually crazy is that the founder of Jasper was saying, Hey, I actually want to become you, yeah. which is a, <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. Uh, That's what's so crazy about this story. So you actually inspired him to become Jasper, which then like, I mean, it's somebody it? like, hopefully this is my get emails. And if I showed yeah, exactly. you the text of what I was saying about get emails, it was 250K MRR. Like now we're at like 1.5 million MRR, right? Like two years later. It's just amazing how, how much that changed, you know? Yeah. Just versus like the, the lessons that I get out of this is it's actually happened in my career a lot is every time I've gone through like the highest like climbs and just like the times where I've like stayed stable or declined a little bit, it was every, I look back and it's who I've surrounded myself with. And at this point in my life, I, the people that I surround myself with are 10x ahead of me. And it just makes me just like, oh, I'm, I'm way behind in my career. But also a lot of them are like my peers, which people are always like trying to look up to people who are 10, 15 years ahead of them in their lives yeah. and stuff like that. But a lot of them are like two, three years ahead of me in my life, but they just are doing so much. So I'm like, okay, if they're there at this age, I think I can get there. So it's like, Dude, I'm not looking 100%. at 10 years. It's just that one or two years that are like way ahead of me that I need to build faster. There's so much in making your peer group people who are achieving much more than you there's so much to this idea that they just make you realize that it's possible it's like that four minute mile thing you know like the day that the guy broke the four minute mile like you know no one had ever done it and like 12 people did it the next year no one thought it was possible right and like it didn't happen in a day there was a slow transition of like those guys had realized they, they had made their fate happen and then I started talking to more and more people around their group who were like, I was just connected to Dave mostly. And then other people in the org started sort of making me feel bigger, feel like I could do more. And then I knew that I had to find other people to help me do it because I didn't know how to. And it like led me to seek a guy like this guy, Shane, basically. And I ended up finding him. I found this guy, Santos Sharon, who like, built Zoom Info, which is this like very large B2B data company, Apollo.io, this other unicorn that achieved unicorn status in like two years. And this guy, he basically just showed me how to do it. It's like we had this lightning in a bottle and he like, you know, we've put all of the stuff in place to like absolutely crush it. But like, I can't stress it enough. Like my idea of success for this business was nothing like, it was like, I had okay lifestyle businesses. Like my idea for success with this was like three X more money, right? With the same life, right? Like, like that was where I was headed. And this is just so, I want to spread this message because it's giving the rest of my life so much energy to be playing so much bigger with so much audacity, you know, like anybody that I tell what I think we're going to do this year. <laughs> which is like go from a company that was six people at the end of October to unicorn status at the end of this year. They're like, I kind of think you're crazy, but like you got balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, I, like, like I'm interested. Like I want to want, you know, I want like, I want to sort of like, I say a couple sentences and like people just want to like be around it. It affects people and it affects other people. Cause like it affected me. It's like, I just feel like, you're an athlete. 
You know, there's this feeling that you get when you've like really competed as hard as you know you can compete, left it all out on the field. That's what every day feels like to me. And it definitely didn't when I was playing much smaller. The thing that I also want to get out of people is that there's so many areas of your life where you think either you're in your career and you think like this is like, I only can get like this promotion and go up or I only could do this, but there's much more capability that you have, but you're surrounding yourself with people. And also I want to transition to not only like career, but in marketing, a lot of people surround themselves and see all these marketers playing it safe and playing it like very easy. And their belief of what great marketing is, is stuck from all these peers that they're talking to that just say, do this, do this. But when you start surrounding yourself with people who think differently or watch people like Mr. Beast who think differently, you start thinking differently as a marketer and you start taking these bets. And I think it's not only in life where you, you surround yourself with those people, but it's also like the things you do, the action you take in your career, in your, in your marketing, in your business is all with the content you consume. And content is not only like I'm watching a YouTube video. It's the people you surround yourself, the conversations you have, the the text messages that you exchange. That's all content. Everything that comes into your brain, good, bad, average, sets the tone for who you are. So I always say it's like good content in, good content out, good ideas out, average content in, average ideas out, bad, bad ideas out. It's, it's basically like you are what you eat with content. Yeah. So that's why I just wanted to go into that. And it's just what you're saying. I want to go into a little bit. I know we talked about this, but a little transition is like, how did you think the 10, a 10 X idea for, for the space that you're in? And like, how did you learn marketing so well? Cause you came from like a finance background. Like, how did you think of like this 10 X idea? So my journey into marketing, that first company that I talked about Robley, we grew it with an outbound cold calling strategy. And I think there's some marketing principles that you need to know if you're building a boiler room, basically, like you need to understand that, like, you got to get people's attention with something bold and audacious. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely, there's copywriting concepts, but like the story of Robley was that was a strategy that ended. Like we ran out of leads. So we got rid of the boiler room. And then I was like, man, I got to grow this thing somehow. I got to learn how to do marketing because anybody with a, internet company, they do banner ads and they do search and they do whatever, right? So I'm like, I got to learn how to do that stuff. And I went to digitalmarketer.com and I remember very vividly this one day, it was over Thanksgiving holiday and I was at my brother's house in California and it was 2016. And I was watching Ryan Dice talk about marketing in general, very fundamental philosophical principles. And he was holding up this statement of value card and he's like, you know, it's basically like service provider helps, you know, group of people experience X, right? And he's basically like, if you can't fill this out, you don't have a marketing problem. <laughs> like you need to step back and figure out who you're helping solve what problem. And it was devastating to me because I could not fill it out in a way that for any of our customers was something that MailChimp didn't do better. That basically started me on a journey of understanding marketing in a totally different way. And where I landed after just years of reading was like, 
and failing over and over again. Like another good story is I went to this trade show. One of the fails that I made is we tried to make a different email marketing app that was above MailChimp. If that makes sense. I'm like, I want to do what MailChimp's not doing. Let's make a more sophisticated feature set than their customers need, right? And I went to this trade show. I pulled off this big stunt. Like anybody that we would talk to about this, their eyes would just glaze over because like they didn't care. They already had an email app. They didn't want another one. They didn't want to switch, right? Like, I don't care about your features. And I had heard of the get emails thing before this point. And I would mention to the people with their eyes glazed over, I was like, by the way, what if I could get you email addresses on your website of people that didn't fill out forms and their face would light up? Like there was a like palpable change of expression that I felt when I said this. Long story short, I am squarely in the camp of like Seth Godin, purple cow. Like you need to be making something remarkable, both from a product standpoint and from a marketing standpoint, but it's much easier to build marketing around a product that is remarkable and excites people. And then the Alex Hermosi hundred million dollar offer, you should construct some sort of proposition for what you're doing such that if the right people see what you're offering, they would be stupid not to do it. Like the Jeff Bezos, Amazon Prime thing. He's like, we're trying to put so much value into Prime that it would be irresponsible for somebody to not do it for $99 a month or a year or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. So in general, I'm just like a student of the game, period. Like I always want to learn and like watch people that are just doing, playing way bigger than me. But I think that those fills, oh, and I have another way of saying it internally, right? Like sell something magical and then sort of related is like create magical experiences for people. That's where I've landed as like governing pillars for what I believe makes good marketing. Gotta be remarkable. A lot of people forget that Sometimes it's not a marketing problem. It's like you have to go back to the beginning and know your customer, do customer segmentation, know like their problems, talk to customers before you even start doing marketing. A lot of people in marketing do these assumptions and say, oh, I assume my customer likes this or I assume I'm better than this company. But like once they talk to customers, they're like, oh shit, I'm actually not as good. Uh, but I want to go into a question that I ask everybody on this podcast is what is a marketing hill you would die on? So with this get emails journey, it was so different than the email marketing, marketing automation, newsletter app journey. Cause like that space is like super mature. Everybody's selling the same thing. There's hundreds of competitors and a couple dominant brands. I think it's analogous to like trying to compete with Coca-Cola. It's just so entrenched and like the products are so well understood. I think category creation is a very ambitious idea, but like this idea that you should be the best in the world at like one little individual thing. So like the 21 immutable marketing principles or 22 immutable, like I'll rest Jack Trout. Love that book. This idea that like show up the firstest with the mostest. If you can just be the best I know that for what we do, which is this, for this very small sliver of Shopify stores, 
we are without question the best option in the world. Like we do not have any competition in this tiny segment because there's just no other alternatives anywhere close. Below it, there are. Above it, there are. But like for these guys, I'm trying to be the firstest with the mostest. So it's like there's something on this hill that has to do with positioning. There's something that has to do with this idea that like you shouldn't just play the violin. You should be the best jazz violinist in Virginia or whatever, right? Like it's niching down super hard and then really internalizing that identity and just going as hard as possible. I actually talked to my friend Robin Daniels about this and he was a CMO at WeWork and um, Matterport about just thing. And we just talked about so many people starting and be like, I want to create the best thing in this category. But what you need to start is like, how can I be the best, have the best one best feature and focus on that. And then when you go to the one best feature, then you say, how can I be the one best feature, the one best benefit of that, that feature in my market, then going up and like, just like all birds, like the most comfortable shoes. And then like, once they figure out that they were the most comfortable shoes, then they could start creating a brand around the most comfortable. It's just extreme focus on like that niche and doubling down. So many people have this mistake of like, I do X, Y, and Z. I do these 20 things, but it's really that extreme focus. So I, I totally get it. It's that extreme focus on a niche. And then once you focus on that niche, then you can start broadening out to like a next feature and next feature. But it's like you're going after this one tight audience and it doesn't really matter how small it is. And then you start going to like adjacent audiences with adjacent messages and features and all that stuff. That's kind of how I look at it. The last thing I want to ask you is if you were starting out your journey again today, what advice would you give someone to just starting out on the journey that they'll come back two years in the future and thank you? I think until I had to live through creating products from like, warming up a cold audience to like dealing with a customer through their cancellation and trying to save them. I didn't appreciate the importance of understanding in depth how the whole machine works. It's kind of like a broad concept, right? But like there's some part of like human behavior. It, it, I think it goes back to like the Mr. Beast thing. If you can approach your career, how Mr. Beast approached it. It's like, you, you have a job doing whatever. I'm not going to have any advice on what job you should take. My advice would be that as quickly as possible, you understand more about that job than anyone around you. And not just answering the emails or whatever it is, how all of the systems work that determine what your bosses are telling you to do. And then keep trying to like, understand more and more about how this whole machine works you know this like organization like eventually you're going to be in a position like me you're going to be building the machines i would recommend trying to understand as much as possible about whatever game you're playing because that is what is going to allow you to be better than everybody else who's too fucking lazy to do that i have a funny analogy about that when i was playing football in high school I would say I was like really good at being like an offensive lineman, offensive tackle in high school. Then I got to college and I realized that like learning 
what the person doing next to me is so important. Learning what the running backs are doing and then learning what the defense are doing and learning the whole game is so important. And then when I got to like my sophomore and junior year, it was, the game became so easy because I really knew what I was doing. Then I knew what everybody else was going to do. And then I knew how everything fed in the puzzle. So I was five steps ahead of people on the field when I was on the field. Instead of having to just worry about doing my one thing, I knew like in this possibility this could happen. There's a higher probability. So I could outsmart my competition instead yeah. of like always out. Because it's hard to outwork someone, a lot of people, but it's easy to outwork and like outsmart someone and outwork them at the same time because the outsmarting is just like you know you just know the whole system to do it i can relate to that like it just resonates very deeply because like i feel like because i've been through so much with these two experiences over the last 10 years like i have this intuition that's a result of me craving understanding about how this whole machine works dude, it's survival, like entrepreneurship, right? It's like you're, the money is what keeps you alive and like you have to spend it to grow. So it's like this, it's a whole lot more real than like when you're like, when you have a job and a salary and like whatever. I never felt that way with sports because I stopped after high school and I didn't really get a lot of playing time in college and quit after two years. But I had a guy on my high school team, I just watched him play and like he had that. You know, like he was just a smarter athlete than me, but like with entrepreneurship in this game that I'm playing now, like I've just spent so much time and I've been such a student of the game that like, I get like intuitive feelings about product that like no one else does. That's just a result of all my experience and all the conversations I'm having all the time and stuff like that. And I, I imagine it's a lot like you felt on the field. Exactly. It's that, that once you have that, it's like Spidey sense once you like start to. Yeah. Like, like, dude, when I started, I thought it was all about just like copying people's UI and you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, I think about what I was doing. It's just pathetic, you know, like, <laughs> but whatever, it's where you start. Like, there's no way, you know, you know, like last bit I wanted to say is where people could find you. What are you doing? Where could people follow your journey? I'm on Twitter, Retention Adam, the most I'm doing is on LinkedIn. I got the LinkedIn URL, Billion Dollar Challenge. So check me out there or just search Adam Robinson. I'm about to kick off in about a month, a weekly YouTube 10-minute episode that's like a wildly revealing work in public called Billion Dollar Challenge as I try to bootstrap this unicorn, which is so absurd to think about. Like taking no external capital and going from a six-person company to a unicorn in it will be 14 months. So follow along. I'm going to show you everything. I'm either going to get there or I'm going to crash and burn trying. So <laughs> it's going to be entertaining either way. But I'm going to leave it all out in the field. I'll tell you that much. I'm excited to watch this, I think. And this is just a perfect example just for anybody who's doing marketing is like have a, a founder story that could appeal. Like this is a great way to do marketing as a founder. Just shouting oh, that out too. If you can get comfortable with sharing financial information alone, and that's it, you will get virality on social networks where people are doing business because so few people are comfortable doing it. You know what I mean? Like people just can't believe it. This has been great. Thank you for joining and thank you for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. 
If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.